If you have your Bible today, and I hope you do, let's turn to the book of Numbers. Numbers, the 27th chapter. And when you get to Numbers, the 27th chapter, I want you to put a bookmark there, and then I want you to turn to the 90th Psalm. Numbers 27, put you a bookmark there, and then turn to Psalms, the 90th chapter, because we'll read there first. Now, as you're getting uh, turning and getting prepared for us to read here in a few minutes, let's uh, begin by talking about mentoring and how mentoring affects other people's lives. Uh, for instance, in this story, well, we're going to kind of not really look at the story, but because of what happened in Moses' life, the Bible tells us that Jethro impacted Moses' life and, and his ministry. In other words, Moses' ministry changed because of the guidance, because of the advice that he received from his father-in-law Jethro. And when I say it changed, it changed in his method. And, and I'm sure that Jethro was grateful for the advice that his father-in-law gave him. And sometimes people impact our lives and sometimes they impact our lives more than we realize. And, and I want you to think about who was a big influence in your life. Who, who uh, mentored you as you were growing up. And maybe later on in life you became very close, very dear friends. You know, I know lots of years ago, before I ever got into the ministry, I was teaching Sunday school. And uh, as I was teaching Sunday school, God was preparing me to be a preacher because I wasn't teaching Sunday school. I was preaching Sunday school and it took a mentor of mine and his mother and his wife to figure out that God was calling me into the ministry and because of, of that, He helped me work through a lot of details uh, in my early, early ministry. And, and I'm, I'm in grateful to him for the influence that he had in my life and because of his lifestyle, how much it affected my life. So, you know, and the neat thing about it was as, as I became a pastor and as I grew in the ministry and uh, me and him talked quite a bit and sometimes... I went from being the mentee to being the mentor because he would call me and we would start talking and 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 I was playing the part that he had been playing in in my life but uh you know and it was because we were really close friends so you know i I guess i you could say that i I became the mentor to my mentor but uh something else I want us to think about is how we reach out to other people and how, you know, we reach out to mentors for advice, but also how others reach out to us seeking us to give them advice, to give them guidance. And, and you know, that's what I'm kind of getting at 
you know, sometimes you really don't realize the influence you're having on someone's life. You don't realize the impact you are having on someone's life. And Jethro was like that with, with Moses. You know, Jethro was Moses' father-in-law, and he mentored Moses. Well, in, in this, this story today that we're going to look at, we're going to be years past when that happened, and we're going to see how Moses, in turn, was a mentor to Joshua who was going to be his, uh, who was his assistant, who was going to be his successor as the leader of the Israelite people. But as God used Moses to mentor to Joshua, who became a very strong leader under God's direction and, and because of the mentorship of Moses. So I want you to see how important it is, and I want you to think about how important the mentoring responsibility is. So let's, uh, let's turn in our Bibles. As I said, we're going to look at a story in Numbers, but first I want to read a verse out of Psalms uh, uh, chapter 90. I want you to look at verse 12. Y'all got it? Amen? It says, so teach us to number our days that we may apply. Uh, that word apply means have compassion on our hearts unto wisdom. Now, let me stop there before we flip over to numbers. Now, we have to realize that life is very short. And, and because we realize that life is very short, it should help us to use the time that we have left, not only use it wisely, but use it for eternal good. How many times in the weeks past have you heard me say, do the good that you can do while you can do it? So that's why I read you that verse. And another reason, when I read this verse... I, I thought that was probably the mindset of, of Moses that was front and center when, when uh, uh, God told Moses that his life was coming to an end. And, you know, in that um, announcement, Moses got a glimpse of the future that was waiting for the nation of Israel that he was leading at this time. God told Moses to climb up on the top of the mountain. And the reason God wanted him up there was to view the future location that God had planned for the Israelite people. God allowed Moses to see the promised land, but you know as well as I do that Moses never got to go in. And we're going to talk about that here in a minute. So let's uh, let's turn to Numbers now, the twenty seventh chapter, and I want to begin reading in verse fourteen. Numbers, the twenty seventh chapter, verse fourteen. Are y'all ready? Amen. For ye, re I'm sorry. Back up to verse twelve. I knew that wasn't right. Twenty seven, twelve. And the Lord said unto Moses, 
Get thee up into this mount, Abiram, and see the land which I have given unto the children of Israel. And when thou hast seen it, thou also shalt be gathered unto thy people, or die and join your ancestors, as Aaron thy brother was gathered. For ye rebelled against my commandment in the desert of Zin, in the strife of the congregation to sanctify me or hallow me at the water before their eyes, that is the water of Meribah in Kadesh in the wilderness of Zen. Now, I want you to keep your Bibles open because we will be reading some more uh, here in, in Numbers, but also elsewhere here after a while. Now, what we see going on in, in just this little part that we read, God is reminding Moses of his disobedience. So for just a second here, let me kind of digress for a moment and stress how important it is for each one of us to be obedient to God. Because of disobedience, Moses was forbidden to enter the promised land. And this was the point that the Israelites were at. They, they, they had been wandering around and now they are standing right there. They're on the brink of fixing to go into the promised land out of, after traveling all the way from Egypt. And Moses had been their leader since day one. And, and you know, Moses had led them in, in the crossing of the Red Sea. He had provided for them all the time, you know, they were out there wandering through the desert, supplying their needs for over 40 years. Now we're at the point where we're fixing to cross over into the promised land and Moses disobeyed God. And it cost him a lot. Now, the people were in need of water. And their livestock was need of water. And Moses met with God. And God gave him a very specific order. He said, Moses, you speak to the rock and water will flow from it. Now what did Moses do? Because of the strife in the congregation, he got mad. Instead of speaking to that rock, he struck it. And he didn't just hit it once. He hit it twice. And I just wondered, Ted, what he said when he hit that rock. You know, God said, speak to that rock and water will come forth, but he hit it. But I wonder if he called it a dirty blankety blank whenever he whacked it because he did it twice. You know, how many times have we been working on something and hit our finger or pinched our finger and taken that hammer or that whatever and whacked that object because we thought we were doing some good. And that's exactly what Moses did. But the water still poured out of the rock. You know, just Moses. But, but the thing was, and what I want you to see here, was Moses exemplified distrust in God. And, and because of that, by striking that rock instead of speaking to that rock, because of his disobedience, Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land. Now, 
I want you to think here briefly because God tells Moses to go up on the mountain. You know, mountains played a very significant role all through the Bible, all throughout history. In the Old Testament, the Garden of Eden, the Bible says that the, the four rivers flowing down to the Garden of Eden, it kind of sounds like the Garden of Eden was kind of up on a high place. Uh, you remember that Moses went up on Mount Sinai and received God's law on Mount Sinai. Elijah, the prophet who was up on a mountain, is where he took on the uh, false prophets. Jesus, you know, delivered one of his most famous sermons up on the Mount of Olives. Jesus often went up on the mountaintop to pray. Now, I've got to interject here, and I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying because Jesus told the Samaritan woman that true worship is not bound by space, but it is done in spirit and in truth. In other words, I'm telling you, you don't have to be on a mountaintop to praise God. You don't have to be on a mountaintop to worship God. So even though Moses was forbidden to enter into the promised land, something that really jumped out at me in this study was how Moses still focused his thoughts on the people of Israel and their need for a strong leader. And that kind of amazes me. You know, he knew they needed a strong leader in the future. And something else that is kind of amazing to me is that Moses did not complain one bit because he did not go into the promised land. He didn't complain. He didn't whine. He didn't pitch a hissy fit because God didn't allow him into the promised land. But he spoke with God about the next leader of our nature. And I want to interject something here real quick. And I'm going to do this very briefly. And I'm going to make a statement or two. And that's going to be the end of it. I'm not trying to turn this into a political meeting. But y'all realize that here in a couple of years, we've got to elect a president. I hope you're thinking about that. I hope you're praying about that. I hope that you're like Moses and you're concerned about the people and this nation. And I hope you're praying that God will prepare the right man for the job. That's all I'm going to say about this. Now, I want you to see because what Moses is doing, it is a mark of a great leader. He's more concerned about the people that he's been leading than he is for himself. It's also a mark of a great mentor. And Moses, you know, you, you're going to see through this little story that Moses didn't try to dictate to God who should be his successful successor. He, he didn't, you know, Moses had done his duty in mentoring Joshua, but he did not try to push God on Joshua or Joshua on God. Joshua knew, or Moses knew, I should say, not Joshua, but Moses knew it wasn't his place to appoint Joshua as the next leader, as his successor. He would lead that up to God. Now, 
I gather something from that. And, and what jumps out at me is this. He sought God's direction and who would carry on after Him. And that's something we need to bring up to our time. Who is going to carry on after us? You know, as, as the Old Testament unfolded, God's people eventually entered the promised land. They just did it under the leadership of, of, of Joshua instead of the leadership of Moses. And this is the thing a good mentor should do. A good mentor should always desire that those who they mentor will go further, accomplish more, achieve more, do bigger and better things than they have. And that's the thing that jumped out at this point in this little study with or, or about Moses. Now I want you to look on and let's look in verse 15. Notice what Moses asked of God. And Moses spake unto the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the Spirit of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them, and which may go in before them, and which may lead them out, which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. Alright, let's stop right there for just a second. Now, I don't know if we should ignore it or if we just don't think about it, but how brief our life is. You know, as I get older, I, I look back and I wonder, you know, I'm, I'm at a point where I'm getting closer to 60 every day. And, and I look back and I think, how did I get to this age this quick? And when you start thinking about our life compared to eternity, our life is very brief. That's why it is so important for each one of us to think about setting up the next generation and directing through our mentorship. Just like Moses did with Joshua. You know, we, we too should consider our responsibility to the next generation. Let me ask you a couple of questions here. What legacy are you going to leave behind for them? What can you do to help them develop the skills they need to be successful in life? And even more importantly than that, the question is, how can we instill in the next generation, a passion for living for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we, we can serve a very important link between the previous generation and the next generation because that's where we are right now. Now, in these verses that we just read, you notice Moses spoke directly to God about somebody to take over his leadership role. He, he saw the need and, and he, he for, for leadership among those people and that's exactly what he petitioned God with. 
Exactly. You know, someone to shepherd the people. And, and, and you know, Moses used that description as sheep without a shepherd because he had been their leader for 40 years. And, and I mean, you know, you think about what, what Moses went through and it's easy for us to be an armchair quarterback and say, well, I wouldn't have ever done that but you wasn't in his position leading what? A million and a half people that were always whining and grinding. In other words, they were always pitching a hissy fit. Folks, y'all are from the country like me. You know you don't throw a fit. You pitch a fit. And it's not just a fit. It's a hissy fit. So we can't be too hard on Moses. But here's what I want you to see. The only leader that they had had, and and they had seen all of these miracles God performed. They had crossed the Red Sea. God had provided them food. Just thing after thing after thing. And what was they doing? They was always just like a bunch of sheep without a shepherd. They were always going astray, and God would have to pop them up in the backside of the head and straighten them out. And that's exactly the reason why Moses makes this particular petition directly to God. He knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that they needed a good leader. And this new leader would have the responsibility to lead the nation not only into battle, but in times of peace. Not only in the time of need, but also in the time of plenty. Okay, let's read some more. Look in verse 18. Now this is God's answer to Moses. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take thee Joshua the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit. Did you get that? And lay thy hand upon him. And set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation and give him or commission him a charge in their sight. And thou shalt put some of thy honor upon him that all the congregation of the children of Israel might be obedient. Now, what we're seeing here is the transition in leadership. Moses was instructed to reveal God's call on Joshua's life to the people. Up to this point, for over 40 years now, Moses was the only leader that that the people had known. And because of that, it was very important for Moses to endorse Joshua and, and lead the people to see that God's hand was on this man. So this, tran- so this transition would go off without a hitch. How many of y'all like change? We kind of like getting into a rut, don't we? We kind of like just going with the flow, the status quo. We all got our little 
little way of doing things and we got our little routine. And boy, when some little minor something comes along that messes it up, oh, we can sure pitch a fit. And we can gripe. And that's what God was trying to prevent here. The people would need to understand that they needed to follow Joshua's leadership in the same way as they had followed Moses. Now, something else that you have to understand about Joshua was Joshua had been a servant under Moses from day one. For 40 years, he had been watching Moses. He had been seeing how Moses handled things, how Moses did things. And, and he had been, ever since the Exodus started, he had been under his leadership. And so he certainly would have some degree of leadership, ability, of knowledge, just because of what he had seen in the life of Moses. And if you've got your, your Bibles open to Numbers anyway, flip back to the 11th chapter. Keep your finger there where we're at. But flip back to the 11th chapter, verse 28, and you will see that Joshua was referred to as Moses' assistant since the days as a youth. Now, while we might believe that, that, that Joshua was showed all the qualifications for being the successor to Moses, in the long run, our opinion matters very little. The important thing that I want to, you to see here is this. It was God's assessment of Joshua that was important. It, it was His assessment that was essential. By the way, the same is true. It, it, it's just like Barton. Someday, Barton might retire from being the pastor. And then my question to you would be, then what? Now, don't, don't be going out and saying, oh, the pastor's threatening to retire. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not, even where I'm, I'm not anywhere close to that. But what if, hypothetical, what if God calls Barton somewhere else? Then what? You see, you have to be thinking about and praying about that next leader. Who's going to be next in line? Now, to God, the essential character about Joshua was that he was a man who had the Spirit in him. We read that in those verses. And I ask you if you saw that. Because that's very important. You see, Joshua was very committed to following God. He was uh, uh, deeply committed to following God's laws and God's direction. He was a man that was filled with the Spirit of God who was obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And Joshua may have been Moses' choice, but more importantly, he was God's choice to lead the people. And that's what I want you to see here and understand how important it was. So God tells Moses, 
He says, I want you to take Joshua and I want you to commission him in front of the people. And a part of that public commissioning, if you will, was to lay hands on him. And, and this was an important practice. It, it was like uh, passing on a blessing. It was like Moses passing on some of his authority to, to Joshua. And in Joshua's case, when Moses laid his hands on him, this was a public recognition that Joshua was going to be the next leader and he was well qualified to be that leader for the years ahead. It, it, it would be something of uh, uh, a divine affirmation, if you will, for the people to see. So that they would follow him the same way they had followed Moses. Now I want to stop here and tell a story. You know, back whenever I finally decided that I was going to surrender to the ministry and I was ordained, I had a group of, of, of men. It, it was a commission, if you would, that, that I had to meet with before I was ordained. Now, that, that group of men can make life brutal on you if they want to by asking you very hard, very tough questions. But thank God my mentor at that time, my pastor at that time, kind of kept them in check. But they had to put their seal of approval on me. Have y'all ever, have y'all ever, Sharon, I know probably you have, have y'all ever seen an ordination of a pastor or an ordination of a deacon? Whenever, whenever they put their stamp of approval on me, when I was ordained, I was put right here in the church. I was right in the very presence of God, front and center, and I was on my knees. And these men came by one by one and laid hands on me and prayed for me. And there was no doubt in my mind what God was calling me to do. And that's what you see in this little story we see. In other words, those men doing that was kind of God's affirmation that yes, God had called me to preach. That God was going to use me in some form, shape, form, or fashion. And that's what we see God doing with Moses here. Now, I want you to flip over real quick to Deuteronomy, the 6th chapter, and the 6th verse. I want to show you something here, and we're going to start kind of winding this down. And uh, I'm going to kind of bring this up to, uh, to us, and, and what this means to us, and how important this is for us. Look in Deuteronomy. It's right next door to Numbers. Next book over. Y'all got it? Chapter 6, verse 6. Amen? Amen. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart, and thy shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thy shalt talk of them when thou settest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Now, this is what I want you to see from these two verses. 
And this is where I'm going to start telling you how much of a responsibility you have to be mentors, to be leaders, to be teachers, to be influencers. Because if we want our children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren, or just some children we're close to, nieces, nephews, or anyone else, for that matter of fact, to follow God, we have to make God a part of our everyday experience. And that's what we need to exemplify. You know, we need not only to teach, we need to show We need to live. What does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us that we are to be doers of the Word and not just hearers only. In other words, if if you're going to talk the talk, you have got to walk the walk. And and that is the only way that, that we're going to change lives. That if we live a life that exemplifies God in all aspects of our life and not just when we show up for church at whatever time we go to church. Now look, in this passage, I remember that this was God's instruction to Moses. Moses was diligent in leading and disciplining Joshua to follow this same pattern that God had given in his life. Moses modeled these words. He lived these words. He instilled these words into not only Joshua, but he proclaimed them to all the Israelites. No doubt, there was a lot of discussion between Moses and Joshua all through these 40 years. There's no telling how many conversations Moses had with his father-in-law Jethro. But in addition, the two shared, and I'm talking about Moses and Joshua, they shared many experiences together. And and during this time, Moses was mentoring to Joshua to be the next appointed leader that God had for the people. But then... Look in those next verses. God gives Moses even more instruction. Look in verse 21. And he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, talking about Joshua, who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment of Urim before the Lord. At his word shall they go out, and at his word they shall come in both he and and all the children of Israel with him, even all the congregation. And Moses did as the Lord commanded, and he took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation, and he laid his hands upon him and gave him or commissioned him a charge as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. Now, as God continues to instruct Moses, He included details about this commissioning ceremony for Joshua. Now you may be sitting here today and you may be going, well, what's the big deal? Why was this so important? 
because you notice this was going to involve the high priest. He said, you take him and you set him before the high priest. You see, the high priest represented God before the people and, and represented the people before God. In this instance, the presence of the high priest, Eleazar, was representative of God's, uh, God's being present in this occasion. That God was affirming this man. So Moses did exactly what God commanded him to do. He, he, he directed him to do. He publicly affirmed God's call on Joshua's wife. And this was an important point or moment not only for Joshua, but for all the people to see this as well. The same will be true to those who we choose to mentor when we decide to take someone under our wing to give them the affirmation that God has got a purpose for their life and it is of utmost importance. Now, let me start trying to wind this down. We started off today talking about God informing Moses that he wasn't going to be around forever. Nor will any of us. We've already read that scripture from Psalms. And we don't know, the Bible gives us very little detail about how long it was when Joshua was commissioned and Moses died. We just don't know. But whatever time remained with Moses, I am sure that it is possible that Joshua was taking on more responsibility, more of a leadership role, because soon Moses was going to be gone. Kind of like I asked you all ago, then what? Now what? And Joshua, once Moses was gone, he was going to have to assume the whole load of responsibility as far as leadership for the years ahead. So now the question has to be, what do we get out of this story? What do we get? What what does this mean for us? You see, this biblical record shows us and it serves to us a pattern for training the next generation. Whether you realize it or not, whether you want to or not, it is our responsibility to train the next generation. If we don't do it, who's going to do it? Now listen to me. Whether you choose to do this formally, whether you choose to do this informally, does not matter. The person you mentor is someone you're going to have to spend time with. Just like Joshua did with Moses. God wants each of us to realize, folks, how important the task 
is to helping others not only grow spiritually, but to grow in their ability to serve others. You won't change, make change. So as we do this, we, we realize that this mirrors the same pattern that Jesus used with His disciples. You remember in the beginning, God called His, not God, Jesus, called His twelve hand-picked dudes. And what did He do? Everywhere He went, they went. And Jesus taught. And He healed. Then next, they were sent out and they were to what? They were to teach. They were to heal as well. And then finally, what happened? Jesus returned to the Father. Now they're standing there. You remember we talked about this just a few weeks back. Jesus went up and they're sitting there gawking, watching, you know, and they're looking at each other. Hey, there, bud. You, you think he's coming back to... I don't know, Leroy. What do you think? You think... Well, I don't know. And you remember the two angels said, Hey, what are y'all doing? You know what your job is. So now it was their job to carry on the ministry just as He had taught them. So from our story today, we can find great mentoring principles. Allow the person that you're going to take responsibility for to spend time with you. Share both your wisdom and your life experience. And here's the thing. Many times we can learn from the experience of others if we will just listen to them. So in a sense, we're passing on our life experiences to others who can profit for them just as Joshua profited from what Moses taught him. So I hope that each one of us realize how important mentoring the next generation is. And the question is, how are you shaping the next generation? What are you doing? Remember too, bad examples carry on as well as good examples do. So let me tell you this. If you don't think it's important to come to church, if you don't think it's important to worship each week, guess what the next generation is going to do? They're going to follow your lead. If you don't feel like it's important to support the church financially, what is others going to do? They're going to follow your example. If you don't feel it's important to get involved in the ministry of the church, whatever it may be, what is others going to do? What about your attitude? Whatever that is, is it one that mirrors the world? 
or is it one that mirrors Jesus' way? The reason that's important, our children, our youth, our family, our friends are going to watch your attitude and get what kind of attitude they're going to have. You see, Jesus took the time to teach His disciples, to train them, to disciple them. And and the disciples passed that knowledge on as, as through the years, as they took over. Well, guess where we are today? Now it's our turn. Now it's up to us to pass the torch on. So let me wind this up today by asking you a question. And that question is this. If everyone did exactly as you do, what kind of world, what kind of community, what kind of church would this be? I want you to think about that. And let's pray together. Father God, we just thank You for another opportunity to be in Your house, Father, to hear Your Word proclaimed. Father, just thank You for the opportunity to be here. Thank You for this church, this church family, Father. And we just seek Your guidance and direction upon this church. We seek Your leadership in this church, Father. Father, we just ask that You forgive us where we fail You. That, that you just help us know when we have that uh-oh moment and that we ask forgiveness. And then we pick ourselves up and carry on and try to do better. Father, I thank you for the people that are here. Certainly, Father, I pray for the ones that's not here. I, I pray that they're safe, they're okay, that there's just other things going on. And so, Father, we ask that you continue to, to protect us in this very challenging time that we live. Father, I want to pray once again for all the folks that we've, we've got on our prayer list. We've got a lot of folks that are, 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 are sick, Father, that are ailing from, from surgeries and from other issues. And Father, we just ask that You be with them in a very special way. Just wrap Your loving arms around them. Let them know that You're near. And Father, we just ask the need be met. So Father, as we leave this place today, just guide us and direct us and help us be examples for You. Help us go out, Father, and do the good we can while we can do it. It's in Your Son's name we pray. Amen.